0: Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga and the creator of the Momentum Magic Method, the way to become a confident yoga teacher who seamlessly shares cues and easily creates sequences, whose classes are transformational, not just transactions, who understands anatomy and who shares their passion in a unique and authentic way. Here on the podcast, you'll hear anatomy lessons, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal growth because having a strong, healthy mindset is such an important piece of being a confident teacher. In addition to the podcast, follow me on Instagram and TikTok for daily videos on teaching topics. And I've got two more ways you can build your confidence and skill. Join me weekly for my mini masterclass and teaching clinic, a 30 minute teacher only themed yoga class, followed by a teaching lesson. Just DM me the words masterclass invite. And I'm also excited to tell you about my new invitation-only group called the Empowerment Club, an exclusive community for yoga teachers who want to feel confident and make a bigger impact. Membership is free and includes weekly workshops, private audio lessons, private Facebook group, and special offers on programs. DM me the words Empowerment Club for your application. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. Hi there. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 282. I am recording this on February 15th, 2024, and this will be going live on February 19th. So you'll be listening to it on or after that day. Uh, I have a lot of podcasts that I scramble to listen to on Mondays because quite a few podcasters drop episodes on Mondays, and I am one of them. So I want to welcome you to the show here. Um, It's been a busy week. I had a busy weekend. I don't know about you, but I, I watched the Super Bowl, and I really enjoyed that. And I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan, so I enjoyed that whole aspect as well. I find it very romantic and just very fun. And it was just interesting to me because I was watching or I was scrolling through my um, my TikTok in particular, and there was just so many opinions out there, just opinions about the game, opinions about Taylor and Travis, opinions about Travis after the game, opinions about different player scenarios during the game, opinions about San Francisco and should they have opted to take the ball first in overtime? I mean... Of course social media in large part is about people sharing their opinions but with all the eyeballs on the Super Bowl there were just so many opinions and there continue to be just nonstop opinions and it got me thinking about just this whole idea of you know what we can and can't control and when you look at anybody who's in the public eye they at some point you know just get to a point where I mean, they never have any control over what people think, but when they are someone who is in the public eye to the level of these athletes and certainly somebody like Taylor Swift, you have no control (laughs) about what people think. And, you know, I'm sure on some level, you know, some of these folks must just scroll through their social media and just think, how is it possible that people are thinking this about me? But everybody's got an opinion. And I was relating this as I was thinking about it to our role as yoga teachers, right? You and I, you know, we're out there, we're teaching classes um, for someone like myself. I'm not doing as much of classroom teaching anymore. I do almost 100% of my time is focused on training teachers in my program. Um, but I, I still am out there am in that space of not only seeing opinions, but sometimes people having opinions about me. And I can certainly say that, you know, when I'm teaching, and every once in a while, you know, you get that feedback from a studio owner, like, oh, so and so had some negative feedback to say about you. Uh, They sent me an email. Like, I can remember back in the day, there were a couple of instances like that. And I wanted to bring this up just to frame it for you and I, as yoga teachers, just from that point of view that. You know, we really can't control what anybody thinks. And so much of the narrative out there in the yoga industry is focused on, you know, and and to a certain extent, rightly so, making your students happy, doing what your students want, teaching a great class. Like even just that mantra that is said over and over again, when someone goes to teach a yoga class, have a great class. Well, what does a great class mean? Does a great class mean I think it was great? Does a great class mean they think it was great? By they, do I mean every single person in the class or just one person or a handful? Is there some percentage, (laughs) you know, at which point we can say, oh, well, if there were 10 people in the class and more than three thought it was great, then it's a great class. But if less than three, it's not a great class. And of course that's a silly example, but I'm being sort of hyperbolic. I don't know if that's the right use of the word there, but I'm being sort of goofy because I want you to see that you can never control what your students think. Everybody's gonna have an opinion just like they do on the TikToks. And everybody's gonna have an opinion about you as a teacher and your class. And if we're out there constantly chasing the approval of our students, the, um you know, kind of thumbs up from our, from the studio owner, then we will constantly be in this circle of chasing something that we can never, ever control. And, you know, when I was a newer yoga teacher, I absolutely thought that it was part of my job to control what people think. And I did a lot of stuff to try to do that. I mean, how I dressed what I said, how I said it, who I mimicked in my teaching, which of course was my original teacher, Baron Baptiste. A lot of what I did was in service, and I don't mean that in a good way, to this idea that I could please people. But it wasn't really in a people-pleasing way. It was more in a way of wanting people's approval, which I guess is somewhat the same thing. So I wanted to just bring this up because I can certainly say for myself at some point, and I'm not exactly sure of a specific moment in time when that shifted for me, but it absolutely shifted. And I sort of went way over to the other side of, I really am. It's not that I don't care. It's just that I recognize I can't control what somebody thinks I can't control what they think when they look at my social, when they watch my Instagram lives, when they watch my videos, when they come to my classes, when they attend my online workshops, I can't control any of it. But what that means is I have all this energy available to me that I'm not wasting on trying to control what somebody else thinks. And I can use that energy to being better, to doing a better job, to sharing better cues, to understanding anatomy to a point where i understand it so well i can just unconsciously speak to it you know with that unconscious level of competence there are just so my energy there're just so many my mindset so many things that i can control that are within my control and so this whole conversation started out with the super bowl and went to people's opinions on social media and now we're sort of here in this conversation. And this is where I really wanted to be with you. This, this idea that if you're out there and you want people's approval and you feel like you're spending a lot of your time chasing that, how, what would it be like for you if you didn't worry about that at all? Like if you imagine every morning you wake up and you have 50 energy cubes in a glass, or let's say a hundred, for a better number. And let's say in that day, you have to teach a yoga class. And so you're spending time before you teach the class, worrying about how it's gonna go. And then you teach the class and in the act of teaching, you're worrying, are people liking it? And then you go home and you worry about in kind of the post-class assessment, what people thought of it. And out of that 100 energy cubes that you started your day with, you spend 50 of them on this whole yoga teaching, this one class. And now I want you to imagine instead, you maybe spent two cubes, two energy cubes on any sort of worry or concern about teaching, both before the class, during the class and after the class. That means you have 80 energy cubes. I know this is a silly example. I just hope you get the point here that this is about taking back your power as a yoga teacher as a person. This is what I mean when I say being an empowered teacher is a next level degree of excellence, not just for you, but for your students. Because when you go into the class and you don't worry about how am I coming across? Are they liking it? Are they engaged? All that sort of stuff. Are they judging me? You now have all this extra energy available to really help them. So I just wanted to start out with that. I know it was kind of a weird segue from the Super Bowl, but it was definitely something that I wrote down and I was like, let me let me start here. Now, the other thing I wanted to share with you is over the past two weeks, this week and last week, I've taught, I think at this point, four or five anatomy workshops, and I've decided to keep them permanently. I collected them uh, as because I was recording them and I wasn't originally going to keep them as sort of forever resources, but I've had a lot of good feedback from teachers who have been at those workshops and who have watched the replays. So if you would like the replays of those anatomy workshops, send me a DM on Instagram. I'm on Instagram as barebonesyoga. And then the other thing I wanted to mention to you before we get into the topic today is I want to give you a save the date for February 24th, which is a Saturday. I've decided to do a live event, and this is going to be an opportunity for you to get my entire blueprint to becoming an empowered yoga teacher. What you can do right now is just save that date, noon Eastern time on Saturday, 224, and send me a DM so I can put you on the wait list and you'll be the first person to find out how to sign up. So I'll send you the link. So for right now as you're listening to this, if you're listening to this before February 24th, 2024, which now that I'm looking at that date, oh my God, that is just so cool. So it's 224 24. That is really lucky. I'm really glad that's the date that I'm doing this. So 22424 is the event starting at noon, Eastern time, and this will be actually the first time I'm ever going to lay this out for you. The entire blueprint that I use to help teachers become empowered experts when they go out and teach. I'm going to just basically share share that with you. So send me a DM on Instagram to get on the wait list, and you'll be one of the first people to get the invite that you can use to literally sign up for this. So that's really cool. Now, I wanted to go into this episode's light bulb moments. This has become a recurring segment of my podcast where every week I share with you some revelations, some transformation that one of the teachers that I work with in my program has had. And I actually have two uh, today, and I want to give them as shout outs because. I believe both of these yoga teachers listen to my podcast. So if they're listening, they're going to hear their name. So I want to first start out by giving a shout out to Jen D, Jen D. And if she is listening, she's going to recognize herself here. Jen is someone who I started working with a number of months ago, and there were a couple of things going on kind of on her plate. So she had a couple of bumps in the road. However, she has always remained steadfast in her desire to teach and so she has stayed committed and she has continued with the program and that so that's my number one that's my number one acknowledgement I want to give her is that she absolutely stuck with it and the one of the really beautiful things about my program is that it can be flexible with what's going on in your life. So if you enroll and something comes up, you're able to sort of step away for a little bit and then jump back in, unlike hours-based programs where you have to meet on the days, otherwise you're SOL. But the thing that Jen said to me was when she sent me an email, she said, when I go through the, the video portal, I have several different pieces of my program. Some of it is live coaching with me and some of it is video. And she said, when I get to the check your learning part, I'm realizing that I have all the right answers. And it's so cool for me as I'm watching you in the check your learning videos and you're asking the questions to quiz us and I'm getting them right. And like, that is literally the demonstration of a light bulb moment that feeling that I know what the hell I'm talking about when it comes to anatomy. And so I want to give Jen a shout out and recognition. And of course I emailed her personally, but I wanted to just share that with you because that feeling, that light bulb moment feeling of I'm getting it is something that so many yoga teachers don't have because their experience of learning anatomy in their 200 hour training was less than And they don't even know what that's like. And so when I, when I hear that from a yoga teacher, I'm just thrilled. And then the second person that I want to give a shout out to is Carly and her name begins with a K. So she's going to know this is about her if she's listening. And she just recently enrolled in my program about two weeks ago. And she sent me a note this week and she said, learning anatomy with you is so, what did she say? So much less confusing than... Before And before for her is in her 200 hour training. And this absolutely thrills me because, you know, the step by step process and the multi layered approach that I use uh, when I work with teachers is not just one on one coaching, but it's also going through my blueprint in my step-by-step format, which is video. And then there's a supplementary anatomy manual that reinforces the step-by-step and it gives you the breakdown of all the poses. So she was commenting kind of on the full picture. And I think she even specifically called out the manual, but they all work together. All those pieces work together. And so just that feeling of, yes, I can learn this. Yes, this is a subject that I can master you are making it easy for me to understand. You know, I, I just really want to reinforce if you're listening to this and you're the kind of yoga teacher who has a belief that you can't learn anatomy, you can, it is not you. It's simply how the information was presented to you. So I wanted to share those two light bulb moments with you. So for today's conversation, I want to share with you a little bit about fascia and This comes, this content I'm going to share with you comes from a presentation I did in a workshop this week and last week. And I'm going to give you a little snippet of what I covered in the workshop. And you can get the replay of the workshop if you just send me a DM on Instagram. So the idea here is to give you just a really quick and maybe 10 minutes, just a really quick overview of what is fascia and how can we better understand it so that as yoga teachers, we can really be aware of its impact on movement and also maybe create some specialty classes and workshops where we are teaching our students the technique of myofascial release. So let me just share a little bit with you Um, about fascia in general. So the first thing I wanna ask you is if I were to meet you on the street and say to you, how would you describe the structure of the body? What would you say? And you might say something like, oh, it's made up of bones and muscles or bones or muscles or both. Or you might throw in another piece like cartilage or joints. Lots of different answers would most likely be correct. So certainly if you said, I would say, the body is structured as a skeleton with lots of bones. That would be correct. Maybe you would say it's structured with muscles on top of bones. That would be correct too. But I wonder, would you ever say it's structured like a tensegrity model? <laughs> you probably say, I would never say that if I don't even know what that means. So this is why I really want you to have the replay of the workshop, because it's gonna be somewhat hard for me to describe what a tensegrity structure looks like without having you see a picture. There was this old Fisher Price toy when I grew up that looked like, I believe it's a it's, um It's not a triangle, it's not an octagon, it's a 3D structure that's not a ball. It's actually set up almost like a bunch of triangles connected with um, string. I don't know if that's a great example, and I don't actually know for for truth if if tetrahedron is the right geometrical um, term. If you are listening on your phone right now and you Google tensegrity structure t e n s e g r i t y that will show you a picture of it. I know for myself, sometimes when I listen to podcasts, I'm always listening on my phone. And if the podcaster says something that I don't understand, I will go to Google while I'm listening to the show and I'll Google something. So you can do that. So the the, the name of the structure is a tensegrity structure. And so if you don't have access to the internet right now, or you can't, I want you to just imagine, first imagine a round ball. But instead of it being completely round, I want you to imagine that it has a bunch of struts connected by string. And it is round, but it sort of has more of a modular shape to it. This, believe it or not, is called a tensegrity structure. And the word tensegrity is made up of the word tension and the word integrity. And tension refers to the tension that's created by the struts and the string working together. So it has almost like the effect of when you open an umbrella and you have the fabric of the umbrella, but you also have the struts that open the umbrella. you can kind of think of it that way. And the word integrity here doesn't refer to the personal quality or the quality of integrity that you might say about someone. Oh, she has so much integrity. Everything she says, she always follows through on. Like that's personal integrity. This is more integrity from the point of view of a structure having integrity means it's really solid. It can stand really strong. It's got a lot of shape to it. You know, if we look at it in the context of a yoga pose having integrity. It's a posture that the alignment is really good. The person in the pose is really solid and and strong in the posture. So tensegrity is a combination of both those words. And if we think about tensegrity as it's described, it's actually an architectural term. And that model that I described to you, similar to the umbrella, similar to the Fisher Price toy, is actually a model that was created by an architect architect by the name of Buckminster Fuller. And he described tensegrity as this relationship between um, the, the continuous part of that structure. So if we think of the umbrella, the fabric, and the discontinuous part, which in the umbrella would be the different pieces of metal under the umbrella that have to open up. And the fact that those two pieces working together create compressive behavior. And so think about when you open the umbrella, if you don't have it open all the way, it's just sort of floppy. And you have to push up on the push part of the umbrella to get it all the way up until it passes that latch. And then it clicks into place. And that compression of the metal against the fabric of the umbrella keeps the umbrella open. So you can sort of think of that metaphor as an illustration of compression against the fabric of the umbrella that therefore keeps the umbrella open. In humans, the skeleton is considered the discontinuous member. So in the umbrella, similar to the metal pieces. And the muscles, fascia, ligaments, and tendons are the continuous member, which would be like the fabric of the umbrella. If we apply the concept of tensegrity to the body, there's actually a different term that we use and it's called biotensegrity. And so I want you to think back to when I asked you at the beginning, how would you describe the body if you thought bones or muscle on bones? Now I want you to think, What if the body actually operated more like a biotensegrity structure instead of just bones and just muscles on top of bones? And so when we introduce fascia as a part of the body, we get to start to appreciate this idea like the umbrella of this compressive behavior, because fascia is not a bone not a muscle. It's a web of connective tissue that covers the entire body. Tom Myers, who's quite famous in the yoga industry, he's an expert on fascia. He is the author of Anatomy Trains. He refers to the body not as 600 separate muscles, but more as one muscle poured into 600 pockets formed by fascia. And on a basic level, a lack of movement solidifies this fascia while movement keeps it supple. And that is a critical thing for us to think about as yoga teachers when we watch our students on the mat. There's another expert in the field of fascia by the name of David Lasondack. And David describes fascia as a silvery white material, both flexible and sturdy in equal measure. It's a substance that surrounds and penetrates every muscle, coats every bone, coats every organ, and envelops every nerve. It keeps everything separate, yet interconnected at the same time. I mean, that to me is such a beautiful description of it. And it's such a beautiful way to think about for us as yoga teachers, as we watch our students move on the mat, their movement on the mat is that beautiful illustration of separate and interconnected at the same time. Now, fascia is a connective tissue, which supports, connects, and separates different types of tissues and organs in the body. So you can think about even just your abdomen with your liver and your stomach and your pancreas and everything else in there. And without fascia as part of what is in your abdomen, all those different organs would be floating around. Of course, there are different ligaments and tendons that keep them connected to the abdominal wall, But fascia in that part of the body helps keep things separated and supported. So that's one example. As I said, it's both flexible and strong and it's one continuous system that exists from head to toe without interruption. In fact, when I went to cadaver lab, which I had an opportunity to do a couple of years, several years ago, we did human dissection. Donors came uh, to the lab after dying probably within 2 or 3 days of their death and so we were doing dissection right from the person passing away maybe a couple of days earlier and so nothing was pretreated and you got an appreciation for when you do dissection at in that way you literally can create a whole separate structure when you dissect away the fascia and it it's basically like the shape of the person but it is just the fascia. It's a very complicated, tedious process. The lab director in the lab actually had uh, had done that with one of the donors. Um, and the rest of us with our, there were probably about 50 of us in the lab and we each had someone as a donor and one of them was, was dissected in that way. And, and it was so interesting. You saw the body with the fascia removed and then the fascia, was next to the body, shaped like a body, it was almost like a Spider-Man suit. It was incredible. Now, there are different layers of fascia. Of course, when we look at a person, we're seeing their skin, which is the epidermis. The layer under the skin is the adipose. The layer under the adipose is the superficial fascia. And then the layer under the superficial fascia is the deep fascia. The superficial fascia is a fibrous layer of loose connective tissue it has no strong regular pattern to its organization if you look at it under the microscope or even if you look at it just with the plain eye it's directly as i said underneath the adipose tissue underneath the skin and it allows for slide and glide between muscle and skin that Quality of slide and glide, that ability to slide and glide is so important for movement. When you watch the actual workshop, you'll see more on this, that slide and glide ability is so much of what we either see or don't see in our students as they move on the mat. Fascia is comprised of cells, fibers, and ground substance. And this ground substance is a thick-like fluid or gel that surrounds the fibers and cells. The cells are a couple of different types. They, one notable type are fibroblasts that make the fibers that are part of fascia. The fiber types are collagen, elastin, and reticular fibers. And I know you hear a lot about collagen fibers these days because taking supplemental collagen is all the rage. The ground substance is a fluid environment where chemical exchanges take place in the body and molecular exchanges take place between blood, lymph, and tissue. When we look at fascia in the body, there are certain qualities of healthy fascia. Collagen fibers display a wavy pattern. They can stretch and move without restriction. The tissues are pliable, bendable, and elastic. They depend on water for ease of function. And they allow muscles to function cooperatively without restriction, permitting normal range of motion. In different yoga classes or yoga teachers have different styles where they might refer to myofascial lines. And this refers to a certain part of the body where you collectively call one whole section of fascia and the muscles uh, underneath and around it As a myofascial line, you can sort of think of it like a neighborhood, a block in a neighborhood, all the houses in that neighborhood block are like a myofascial line. So there's a posterior line and a lateral line and an anterior line, and you can create an entire yoga sequence or workshop just around postures that address one particular myofascial line. So the kinds of problems that come up in fascia are things like crosslinks, where muscles and connective tissues that are near one another get stuck together. These are called adhesions. You might hear that term if you've ever had surgery and you have scarring around the area where the surgeons need to cut. Uh, other problems are things like breakage, where collagen fibers break, and this can create things like trigger points, if you've ever heard of that, when you've gone to get a massage. So using myofascial release balls and foam rollers, and to a certain extent, percussive tools like um, Theraguns, they are in this area of myofascial release tools. The the Theragun's separate because that's percussive, but foam rollers and MFR balls are myofascial release tools. Myo is muscle fascia is fascia and release refers to releasing, I guess you could say releasing tension or improving the quality of the fascia. Any technique used to manipulate the fascia would be considered MFR. It releases adhesions, it increases circulation in the area, it increases hydration in the area, and it restores that wavy, healthy wavy pattern in the fascia. So the different techniques, if you can imagine a myofascial release ball, which is about the size of a lacrosse ball, but note is not a a lacrosse ball. So if you go on Amazon, do not buy cheap MFR balls because they will just be lacrosse balls covered in rubber. It's way too hard (laughs) for the tissues in the body. You want a good MFR ball. Um, A good brand is Trigger Point. So techniques to use with MFR balls are things like compression. So imagine for the plantar fascia at the bottom of the foot, you slid the ball in the arch of the foot and you leaned into it. You just leaned in for about 10 seconds and then backed off and then leaned in for 10 seconds. That's compression. Rolling, if you were to just roll the ball up and down your foot in concert with the direction of the fibers. Cross fibering would be rolling the ball sideways across the foot because that's going in the opposite direction of the direction of the fibers. Pin and stretch would be pressing down into the ball and then turning your ankle. So now you're bringing blood flow to the area by pinning and stretching. It also works well if you sort of pin it on your thigh as you're laying on your belly and then bend your knee back and forth, move your shin through flexion and extension. Contract and relax could be a technique where you squeeze your arm and the MFR ball is maybe in your bicep and then you release the the squeeze of the hand, like you squeeze your, make a fist is what I meant to say. And then winding is you literally plug the ball into a particular part of the body and you twist it. And you're doing all these things with um, obviously a lot of awareness around the body's response and, and how it feels. You don't want to do it to pain, but I will say the, the, the pressure and any of these techniques I'm describing sometimes can feel uncomfortable. And sometimes that is a sign that you've got some limitation in the fascia and you want to do MFR as a, as a recuperation technique. MFR in an ideal world is like brushing your teeth. You would do it every day. I remember when the trigger point, I'm sorry, when the TheraBody Uh, tools got really popular about a year and a half, two years ago. I remember going to a a virtual conference by one of the founders and he said, you know, he has um, a bunch of different ones throughout the house. And one of them he has on his nightstand so he can do percussive therapy, which is sort of like MFR before he goes to bed. It's really something that ideally we would do 10 minutes of MFR every single day to restore uh, range of motion to move fluids through the body, to bring good fluids into the fascia, hydration, circulation, you know, the, the body's inflammation that occurs, um, that brings inflammatory response to certain parts of the body. If you have a strain or a sprain, myofascial release can help with that. Although you definitely do not want to do it on an injured, direct injured part of the body, but sometimes we have some things a little bit more hanging around. I don't want to necessarily say chronic, but just kind of, you know, creating a certain problem area in the body. So, myofascial release can start to distribute some of the fluids in a healthy way in the body to decrease the effect of that. The idea here is from a big picture point of view to keep in mind fascia is not a separate thing, fascia is part of the infrastructure of the body. You remember at the beginning of this conversation, I said if you th- if you were asked what's the body made of, what would you say? Now, I hope that you would say fascia, bone, muscle, te- tendons, ligaments, you know, these cartilage, these are all really important parts of the body. And when you're watching your students move on the mat, their movement is an illustration of the quality of all those different parts, not just the muscle you looked at in a book or the fascia description you read in a book or the picture of fascia you saw online. It's a illustration of all of those parts working together. So I hope that you found this particular part helpful. Um, I want to just do a, a quick transition here. I always like to leave uh, these days, leave you with a mindset minute, just something that speaks to the mindset piece of being a yoga teacher, because you know, so much of yoga teaching is uh, kind of the between the ears piece. We talked in the beginning of this episode about what we can control and that whole idea of we can't control what people think. And that lives, that whole conversation lives in the mindset space. The other piece I wanted to share with you is the idea of how important it is to experiment with new ways of showing up in your classes as a way to start to bust some of the beliefs you have about, I can't do this. I can't do that. This always has to be done this way. And that sort of thing. I refer you to a free video that's on my Instagram. If you go to my profile, you'll see uh, a link to watch the secret video. And when you watch that video, I go into this in a lot more detail. The whole basis is to experiment with different ways of showing up in your classes as a way to test out. Maybe it's breaking a habit, maybe it's creating a new habit, maybe it's trying a new technique. Because in my work with yoga teachers, one of the things I find is that many of them have very rigid beliefs about how things need to be done. I have to practice with my class, I have to mirror my class, I have to bring notes in, I have to start people in child's pose, I have to have to have to have to have to to. And the reality is you don't have to do any of that. But many times the reason teachers do certain things is because they've been told that's the way it has to be done. And so they have a belief that says, that's the way I have to do it. So I really encourage you to watch that video again, right off my Instagram there, the secret video, you'll see it. And I go into a whole bunch of examples of ways that you can experiment in your classes, all in service of shifting your mindset from that very fixed way to more of what's possible for me. And um, if you do watch that, let me know what you think. The other thing I wanted to mention is I'm going to give you a little homework between now and the next time you listen to the show. I want you to spend five minutes every day closing your eyes and imagining yourself as the most empowered expert teacher ever. I want you to think, what would I look like? What would I be saying? What would I be doing? How would I be walking around the room? How would I be interacting with my students? How would I feel when I hear the words empowered expert? How, what comes up for me? when I hear those words. And just meditate on this every day. Make it part of your daily routine to wake up in the morning, close your eyes, maybe do it when you're brushing your teeth, maybe do it when you first get up in the morning and you're exercising, you're walking the dog. Give yourself five minutes to fuel that vision because it's got to start with you. And it's not just that it's starting with you, it's stoking that part of you that says to you that anything is possible. And along those lines, and this next thing I'm gonna tell you comes from a conversation I have with a student recently. And she was using a word to just describe how difficult it's been for her in the time she's been teaching so far. And I just wanna remind you that the words you use to describe your experience as a teacher will Keep you stuck in that way, even though logically your brain might be thinking, well, I have to describe it this way because this is how it is. I almost want you to reject how it is and instead look for the silver lining, look for the glass half full. When you come home from that class and there's a part of you who wants to say that was awful, I did horrible. Who do, who am I to think I can? I want you to look for one thing that went well and just keep saying that thing went well. Or even if you just say to yourself, that's done, I can't wait to do it again. Or that's done, I know I'm going to do better next time. Or that's done, it makes no difference, everything always works out for me. Whatever little mantra you want to come up with, I just want to reinforce with you that when you reinforce the negative persona that you think you have about yourself as a teacher, that will continue to be part of you. It's up to you to change that mindset habit, to start to feed the part of you that's that empowered expert teacher. So wrapping up here, I wanted to just give you two things to do. Number one, I have a PDF on myofascial release that I'm happy to send you if you DM me on Instagram. And when you DM me on Instagram for that, you can also add that you want the replay of the workshop on fascia and I'll send you that as well. So that wraps it up for today. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you are still listening right now, that means you made it to the end. And I really, really appreciate your time. And as a little extra incentive or gift to give you, since you are still listening, I want to say a phrase to you. And if this phrase resonates with you, I want you to include that in the DM you're going to send me on Instagram and I'm going to give you a special incentive to enroll. The word, the phrase is 30-day sprint, 30-day sprint. So if the idea of becoming that empowered expert teacher appeals to you in a 30-day sprint format, include that phrase, 30-day sprint, in the DM you send me on Instagram, and I'm going to give you a special incentive to enroll in my program. And all you need is 30 days. That's like hardly any time. All right. Thanks so much for listening. I will talk to you on the next episode. Namaste. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And as a special thanks, DM me the words podcast offer, and I'll share with you a special opportunity for yoga teachers who are ready to be confident and skilled and drop all that prep time, drop practicing with class, Drop using the same cues over and over and drop worrying what other people think. If this is you and you're ready to step into your most powerful, authentic way of teaching, DM me the words podcast offer on my Instagram, Bare Bones Yoga.